Ding, 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 ding. Wow, that was just beautiful, wasn't it? An original recording of a harp in a court in England in 1624. Just stunning. Hello and welcome back to the final couplet with me, Theo Cowan. Today we're looking at Sonnet 7. It's a big one. Is it? I don't know. Haven't read it yet. But I got a good feeling about this one. Let's not pretend it's going to be about anything other than telling John that he needs to have a kid. I think we know that by now. And there will be a day that we come across a sonnet that isn't about that. But I I have a strong feeling that today is not the day. But I think we've made a, a very interesting story out of this set of sonnets. And I, for one, am looking forward to hearing what happens next. Before we dive into Sonnet 7, I've got a big shout out. And this is to friend of the podcast, James, who has very kindly sent me a book of the sonnets because he saw that I was pathetically reading these sonnets off the computer like an idiot and I didn't actually have a book of sonnets of my own. So a big thank you to James. I won't say his second name um, but let's just say he's a, he's a, he's a very well-known actor and make of that what you will. Now Let's dive into Sonnet 7, shall we? Sonnet 7 Lo, in the Orient, when the gracious light lifts up his burning head, each under eye doth homage to his new appearing sight, serving with looks his sacred majesty. And having climbed the steep up heavenly hill, resembling strong youth in his middle age, yet mortal looks adore his beauty still, attending on his golden pilgrimage. But when from highmost pitch, with weary car, like feeble age he reeleth from the day, the eyes, for duteous, now converted are from his low tract, and look another way. So thou, thyself outgoing in thy noon, unlooked on diest unless thou get a son. Well, there we are. Sonnet 7. As we suspected, it was about exactly the same thing as 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. A few little uh, twists and turns that we'll look into. But essentially exactly the same meaning. Let's have a little dive into what it all means, shall we? 
So we'll start by taking the first four lines. Lo, in the Orient, when the gracious light lifts up his burning head, each under eye doth homage to his new appearing sight, serving with looks his sacred majesty. So I think what this means is, you know, the the light rises, the sun rises, um, and everyone has a little look at it and goes, oh, that's nice. Looks lovely, doesn't it? I think that's it, really. I mean, it's it's very flowery, but I think that is the general, the general meaning is, you know, there there's the sun, lovely sun rising in the east, and everyone pays homage to it, says that's lovely, and they look up at it, and it's sacred. Then we've got, and having climbed the steep up heavenly hill, resembling strong youth in his middle age, yet mortal looks adore his beauty still attending on his golden pilgrimage. So we're still on the sun here. And that's a really nice bit of wording, isn't it? Watching the sun climb the steep up heavenly hill. So that's that's sort of watching the sun rise to its highest point. And it's saying that at the sun's highest point, everyone looks at it and goes, yeah, that is really beautiful, really looks fantastic. And it's sort of comparing the sun now to uh, uh, a man and saying, yeah, watching it get to its highest point is really great. And it looks bloody good looking up there, actually. A very handsome sun. But when from highmost pitch with weary car, like feeble age he reeleth from the day, the eyes for duteous now converted are from his low tract and look another way. So here it's saying, but when the when the sun starts to fall from its highest point, it's like when a gorgeous man falls into old age. And everyone was looking at it at its highest point going, oh, that's a lovely looking sun. And then as it sort of falls away later into the day, everyone's turning away from it. They don't want to look at it anymore. It's horrible. Doesn't look as good when it's when it's falling, does it? Lovely when it's ascending. And when it's at its highest point, it looks brilliant. But after that, it, it really is downhill. So here we are at the final couplet. So thou, thyself outgoing in thy noon, unlooked on diest, unless thou get a son. So here he's rounding up, so he's saying, very much like the sun, you are wasting your life away when you are in your prime. You are the sun at its highest point right now, and everyone's looking at you. But again, as I've said in sonnets 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 and 6, you will die alone and unloved unless you have a son. Interestingly, he's stated son. I can't remember if he if he said that in the other ones. 
But this one, he's being very specific. Son. So actually, a daughter won't cut it, mate. John. If you have a daughter, that's not good enough, is it? You've got to have a son. So he's, it's an extra stipulation there. It's not ideal, is it? I think there's some nice imagery in this one. I, I like the comparison of the son's arc to the to the arc of a human life. It makes sense. I, I wish that it wasn't done in a way that is forcing someone to have a kid. It would just be nice to to sort of think of the son as, as the track of a human life without forcing someone to have a kid at noon. But that's Shakespeare, isn't it? He's got to have that edge. Now, let's put this to our story, shall we? If you remember in the last sonnet, Shakespeare's wife was still in the nag's head with John and she'd read sonnet six to him. Uh, Shakespeare's in the back of the pub, eagerly awaiting the reaction of John. So that's where we left off. Shakespeare's wife finishes reading Sonnet 6 to John. John is staring into her eyes. And she is staring into John's eyes. They're both fixated upon one another. She says, so what... Did you think of that then? Did you like that? And he said, sorry, I I wasn't really listening. And she says, oh, um, okay, that's, that's fine. Do you want me to read it again? He said, no, not really. I was too busy looking into your beautiful eyes. And she said, oh, you, you flatter me, John. You flatter me. He said, I'd love to see you again. And she said, I, I don't know if that would be possible, John. Uh, and he said, why not? Do, do, you not? do you not like me? And Shakespeare's wife says, uh, of course I do. Uh, I just, I'm very busy. I'm very busy at the moment. And John says, oh, oh, really? What are you, what have you got on? And she says, ah, just lots of work, lots of work. Uh, can't really go into details, but there's a lot going on in my life at the moment. So probably can't see you again. And John says, well, that is devastating news. And a little tear drops from his eye onto the table. Sorry, uh, excuse me, I, 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 I don't usually get this emotional. But you're so gorgeous that I, I, I can't help myself. And Shakespeare's wife says, it's, it's, it's not a problem, John. Uh, anyway, I, I, I have to go. I'll, uh, I'll see you around, maybe. And John says, I truly hope so. 
Shakespeare's wife rushes out of the nag's head onto the cobbled streets. Shakespeare, who has had a few meads by this point, stumbles out after her. He says, well, how did it go? How did it go? And she said, it was, it was fine. I, I, th- I think it went down. I think it went down well. Let's get you home, shall we? He said, oh, great. I'm so pleased it went well. I'm so pleased. I love you. Oh, I love you. Have I told you that? I, oh, I love you. And she said, yeah, yeah, you've told me. And they go home to their house, get into bed. Shakespeare falls asleep instantly, snoring away. But Shakespeare's wife lies awake, eyes wide open, and she is thinking of John. Has she fallen for this man? He is the most beautiful man she's ever seen. But it would be unfaithful to even think about another man, wouldn't it? All of these thoughts were swimming around her head. The next day, Shakespeare goes out. And a letter arrives. Addressed to Shakespeare's wife. It's from John. He says, I can't. Stop thinking about you. You're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. I need to see you again. Please meet me at Vauxhall Spring Gardens tomorrow. I shall eagerly await your arrival. Shakespeare's wife puts the letter down. And she thinks, I can't, can I? It would be the ultimate betrayal of my husband. That night, Shakespeare comes back and he says to his wife, Listen, I need you to meet John again. I've written another sonnet and I think you're making a breakthrough with him. And she says, Oh, I, I I, wouldn't want to meet him again. He was horrible. I didn't like him at all. And Shakespeare says, oh, really? I, he's, he's quite a nice guy, isn't he? And she said, no, I don't like him at all. He's a horrible man. And Shakespeare says, oh, wow, I didn't know he had that effect on people. Hmm. Anyway, I need you to do this for me. All right. And there's no, there's no ifs or buts, right? You have to do it. Because I'm Shakespeare and you're my wife. And she says, oh, okay, if I have to. And he said, here's the sonnet. I've titled it Sonnet 7. But don't read out the title because it's meant to be a sonnet that you've written. So he shouldn't know that it's Sonnet 7. So just scrap that bit, okay? Just read the sonnet to him. And she says, fine. I'll arrange to meet him, shall I? And he says, yeah, yeah, you sort all that out. I can't be bothered with that side of it. I I don't do the admin. 
the next day, Shakespeare's wife meets John in Vauxhall Spring Gardens. It's beautiful there. There are lovely little flowers popping up everywhere. And John is dressed up to the nines. He's got a beautiful little ruff that he sewed himself. He's quite crafty, John. And lovely little shoes on. And Shakespeare's wife is wearing a beautiful mint green dress. One of her favourites. They both look stunning. John says, My darling, I've been thinking about you non-stop. You're just as beautiful as I remembered. And Shakespeare's wife said, Well, I mean, it was only yesterday that you saw me. It hasn't been that long. But yeah, thanks. You're also very good looking yourself, sir. And he said, please call me John. And she says, listen, John, I have to read you another poem. And John says, oh, really? No offence, but they're not great, your poems. I can't even remember what the last one was about. But you are really hot, so... I guess, I guess I'll listen. And she said, thank you, it means a lot to me. Uh, I really spent a long time on these poems. So, here it goes. And she takes out Sonnet 7. Sonnet 7. You know the sun, when it rises in the east, it looks great, doesn't it? And then when it's noon and it's at its highest point, it really is beautiful and majestic. But when it starts to fall from the sky, it sort of looks gross and I don't like to look at it anymore. You are like the sun. You're at your peak at the moment. But soon you will get ugly and no one will want to look at you again. So make sure you have a son before you die. Wow, what an episode this has been. Shakespeare's wife falling in love with another man? I, for one, can't wait to find out what happens next week when we look at Sonnet 8. Until then, have a great time. Bye! Ding, 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 